the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. So when you swear an oath with expressions such as, so help me God, or as God is my witness, it means that you are actually calling upon God to support the truthfulness of your statement in order to give credibility to what you've said. That's its point. In other words, the purpose of taking an oath is to convince your listeners that you are not lying. And the way you accomplish this is by calling upon God as your witness that you're telling the truth. I'm not lying, and I call upon God to affirm that I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. This time, anyway. Other times, maybe yes, maybe no. But I'm being honest now. I promise. We come by the habit of lying early on, don't we? Recently, my two-year-old grandson asked his mom right after breakfast for some candy. His mom reminded him that he wasn't supposed to have candy at that time of the day. He put on a really sad face and said, But I sick. (laughs) We all laughed when we heard about it, but when we really think about that, it's a sobering reminder that we're born with an honesty deficit. And for some reason, we think oaths and promises will help. But today on Verse by Verse, we'll be hearing what Jesus had to say about honesty as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. There are those among us who believe that in this passage, Jesus forbids us to take an oath. But if we understand his comments in the context of Scripture and the customs of his time, we come to a different conclusion. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve helps us understand. Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually a a larger study of uh, every verse as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. And we have arrived at a very, very interesting portion of Scripture, which at first glance you may say, how is this relevant for us? But you'll see it's most relevant. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus said again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no vow at all or make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Several years ago, I was called to jury duty, and one of the first things I had to do as a jurist was to be sworn in. I had to take an oath promising to tell the truth. Now, that may sound like a simple thing to do, but I want you to know that for some people, that is not a simple thing. It's not a simple thing at all because there are many individuals who, based on religious grounds, refuse to take any public oaths which not only rules out taking an oath in a court of law, but in their view would also rule out making a vow in a marriage ceremony 
as well as any other situation involving a public pledge of truthfulness. And the reason they hold to this conviction based on religious grounds is because of the very verses that we we just read in the Sermon on the Mount. Based upon this passage of Scripture, there have been a number of not only individuals, but religious groups and sects, and even some individual evangelical Christians who have rejected any public oath or oaths because they interpret Christ's words as a prohibition against all oath-taking. And so you have, for instance, in the 16th century, you have the Anabaptists, who were the forerunners of the Baptists, who officially, as a group, refused to take any oath. The Quakers are another religious group. The Quakers are a group that, uh, as an official religion or a religious Group, they take a stand against public oath-taking. In fact, the founder of the Quakers, George Fox, was actually sentenced to prison for refusing to place his hand on a Bible and swear that he would tell the truth. Here's what George Fox said to the judges who condemned him for what, for what they considered to be an act of defiance. He said this, You have given me a book here to kiss and to swear on, and this book which you have given me to kiss says, Kiss the Son. And the Son says in his book, Swear not at all. I say as the book says, and yet ye imprison me. How chance ye do not imprison the book for saying so? As a result of George Fox's stand against oath-taking, today in, in our country no one has to take a public oath. It's not a law that you take a public oath in a court of, of law and swear to God that you're telling the truth. It is sufficient and it is acceptable to simply say, I affirm that I am telling the truth. Now, we may admire men like George Fox. In fact, we should admire the courage, the tenacity of Fox and his followers for not compromising their convictions. But the question we need to, to ask and answer is this. Are those convictions biblically correct? Is that the right interpretation of the Bible? Did Jesus absolutely forbid his followers from, from ever, under any circumstance, taking an oath? Well, the only way we're going to know the answer to that question is by carefully studying our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 5 in order to determine what he meant by what he said. What did he mean by what he said? And before we can even begin to study this passage, we need to make sure that we all understand what exactly we, we mean, and more importantly, what does the Bible mean by taking an oath? Sometimes it is called swearing, which should not be uh, thought of as cursing. Swearing is synonymous in the Bible with oath-taking because you swear an oath. You swear an oath. So oath-taking, you should know, is not a recent innovation created by our modern court system to encourage people to be truthful. Long before it was customary for a witness to take an oath in a court of law, the Bible already spoke with, with authority on this subject. And based on the many references, especially many found in the Old Testament, we can define an oath as as this. An oath is a statement or a promise that is designed to stress the truthfulness of what someone has just said. That's, That's its purpose. So when you swear an oath with expressions such as, so help me God, or as God is my witness, it means that you are actually calling upon God to support the truthfulness of your statement in order to give credibility to what you've said. That's its point. In other words, the purpose of taking an oath is to convince your listeners that you are not lying. And the way you accomplish this is by calling upon God as your witness that you're telling the truth. I'm not lying, and I call upon God 
to affirm that I'm telling the truth. So when you take an oath, what you're really saying is this. Let's, let's just get to the bottom line of this. I call upon God to witness the truthfulness of what I have just said. And if I'm lying, may God punish me for not telling the truth. That's, that's really the heart and soul of an oath. We actually have a verse in the Bible that very succinctly sums up the reason why people take oaths. You don't need to turn there, but I would encourage you to take this down as you take notes. And we always encourage you to take notes. It will enhance your learning. Hebrews 6.16 says this, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that, is that when an individual takes an oath, he is appealing to a higher authority, usually God, a higher authority to prove that his words are valid and that they can be and should be believed. In other words, an oath guarantees the truthfulness of one's words, and that's why the writer to the Hebrews says that it ends every dispute. That's the goal, to end every dispute, because it guarantees that the man is telling the truth. If you have a dispute and I, I take an oath, then it guarantees that I'm telling the truth, end of dispute. That's, that's what the writer is saying. So now that we, we have some understanding of what the Bible means by an oath, that it affirms the truthfulness of a statement, now we're prepared to see what Jesus had to say about oaths. Now, we know from our previous studies in the Sermon on the Mount that beginning with verse 21, uh, there, there is a really a new section in this sermon in which Jesus addresses several Old Testament laws. He addresses a number of specific Old Testament laws for the very purpose of teaching his followers, citizens of his kingdom, how to live by the true standards of righteousness, as opposed to the false, legalistic, silly, nonsensical standards of of what they thought was righteousness lived out by the Pharisees. They were legalists, not true righteous people. Their hearts had never been transformed by grace. What they did, they did to appear to be righteous to others, but there was no heart submission to the Lord. So having already commented on the laws of murder and adultery and divorce, Jesus now turns his attention upon what the Old Testament had to say about oaths. The question is why? Why would he do this? Because just like the previous laws of of murder, adultery, divorce, the Pharisees and the scribes of our Lord's day twisted these teachings and and perverted the biblical, these biblical laws. And now they, we're going to find out how they've perverted the biblical concept of of oath telling so that they managed to, to somehow weasel out of obeying God while still giving the appearance that they were righteous. And that's always the way legalism works. They, they wiggle out of doing what's right, but appear to be doing what's right. See, the ancient Jewish rabbis and the contemporary scribes uh, and Pharisees of, of that day misinterpreted every one of these laws, and, and I say purposely misinterpreted these laws, to, uh, to fit their lifestyle, what they wanted. That they ended up with wasn't genuine obedience at all, genuine obedience that stemmed from, from godly, right motives, inner attitudes of submission to God. But what they ended up with was a surface type of conformity to to the laws that gave the appearance of obedience. That's all. But it was just outward, just superficial. They considered themselves righteous and pious. Jesus called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor. He only pretends to be something. He's really not like that. He plays a role. These people played the role of being pious, but they they were not at all. 
See, they wanted everyone around them, and this is the way legalism operates, to think that they were righteous. But in reality, they had no heart for the Lord at all. They didn't care about obeying God. They only cared about what, uh, what they thought others thought of them. That, that's all. They only cared that others thought they were obeying God, so they'd make a good impression. So they played their little religious games of going through these outward motions of keeping these laws, but really it was all for appearance sake. That's all. That's all. For example, the Pharisees, uh, in terms of keeping the law of murder, said that here's what it means, and here's what it only means, to refrain from taking someone's life. And you know what? They looked at themselves and they said, really, we're quite pleased with ourselves. We're quite smug about this because we haven't killed anybody. And so there was a self-righteousness, very satisfied with this because they thought that they were righteous and holy before God. They had obeyed completely that law. Jesus said that a truly righteous person, someone who has been transformed by God's grace in his heart, not only isn't, isn't concerned, or not only is concerned that he doesn't take somebody's life, physical life, but he's concerned too that he doesn't hate someone in his heart. Jesus said that's the way a citizen, true citizen, who's been converted, a true citizen of the kingdom, thinks and behaves. Again, to the Pharisees, when it came to the law of adultery, they, they said it only pertains to the act of adultery and nothing beyond that. And so since they, for the most part, refrained from physical adultery, they were very, very pleased with themselves and felt that they were completely obedient. But Jesus said that a real righteous man not only doesn't commit the act of adultery, but he makes every effort in his, in his life to refrain from mental adultery and lust as well. And as we saw last week, to the Pharisees, the law about divorce boiled down to just getting the legal paperwork done. That, that was all. That was all they cared about. They considered themselves righteous because they believed that they were following the law of Deuteronomy 24 by giving their wife a certificate of divorce as they sent her out of the house. And they figured that was righteousness. Well, Jesus said very clearly that a righteous person doesn't uh, even consider divorcing his spouse except in the case of sexual unfaithfulness. And even in that case, he's not commanded, he's just permitted. And so having already dealt with these uh, certain laws, these three laws about murder, adultery, and divorce, Jesus now very, very vividly turns the spotlight on the way the scribes and the Pharisees mishandled oath-taking. Now, I realize that after dealing with the sins of murder and adultery and divorce, that oath-taking may sound a little dull, a little anticlimactic. But I assure you that this is most relevant for us, perhaps the most relevant of any of these laws that we've studied thus far, because it's really the issue of honesty and integrity, telling the truth. And really, what could be more relevant than that? One of the major characteristics of our age is lying. And if you, if you tell people who aren't believers that we need to tell the truth, they'll say, but everybody lies. And you know what? That's pretty true. Writing in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Kent Hughes states this, there was a time when Western culture was distinguished from other cultures by at least a conventional outward sense of obligation to tell the truth. But now there's a pervasive indifference to truth-telling. We, we live in an age that they not even know the truth, let alone tell it, but there's no commitment anymore to telling the truth for the most part in our society. You can see how, how this indifference to truth-telling has permeated all areas of life. Not only is there direct lying that we so easily see, but people tend to exaggerate stories in order to make themselves look good. That, that's all part of deceit and dishonesty. We think nothing of making promises that we have no intention 
of keeping. This is not just politicians. This is everyday people. We betray confidences without the pangs of a smitten conscience. We are entertained by sitcoms on television that if you notice, pretty much the plot all centers around a lie that someone gets into and then has to take a half hour to get out of. We justify giving false information on our income tax returns. We cheat on anything from schoolwork to our spouses. We do make vows in marriage ceremonies and then think nothing of not keeping those vows by divorcing a spouse. And we become experts at making excuses rather than facing the truth. I know, I know people have an answer for everything. They never want to face the truth. They always give an excuse. All of this comes under the, the headings of falsehood and lying. And it's become so natural and commonplace in our world that really we are a nation of liars. You don't know who to believe anymore. So that in the words of John MacArthur, who said, so much of business, politics, government, the educational system, science, religion, and even family life is built on falsehoods and half-truths that a sudden revelation of the whole truth would cause society as we know it to disintegrate. It'd be too, too devastating, he writes, to handle. I think that's true. We wouldn't know what to do. And so this morning, we want to explore the area of lying by studying what Jesus had to say about oaths, because that's really the issue here. And our Lord's approach to the subject of swearing or oath-taking is the same as his approach to all the other laws. In order to teach us the biblical truth about oaths, Jesus first exposes the error of the Pharisees, and then, secondly, he tells us what he has to say about oaths, because what he has to say is consistent with God's standards of morality that have, have already been revealed in the Old Testament. And so let's begin where the Lord begins, by, by exposing the error of the Pharisees. You'll see how subtle, how manipulative, how, how absolutely hypocritical they were. We begin in verse 33. Jesus said, Again you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Jesus begins to unfold the Old Testament view about oaths by first stating what the ancient rabbis, as well as the scribes and Pharisees of his day, taught on this subject. And what they taught is summed up in verse 33. It's really a summation. You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. In other words, don't break your oath, but keep the oaths that you've made to the Lord. That's, that's what they said. Now, quite frankly, what the Pharisees said about oaths, as Jesus is summing it up, was not wrong. They, they, there's really nothing in and of this statement that's wrong. It's, it's not a, a direct quote from the law, but it's really a, a summation of a number of laws. It's not a distortion of the law either, not, not taking it at face value. It's a summary statement of several Old Testament laws that accurately reflect what Moses said about taking an oath. And what this tells us, if you knew nothing else at this point, what this tells us is that contrary to what most people think, or what certain people think, I should say, not most, far from prohibiting the taking of an oath, the Old Testament actually encouraged it. It actually encouraged it. For example, in Deuteronomy 10.20, you don't need to turn there, just, uh, just jot this down. Deuteronomy 10.20, it says this, You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Now notice that God in that statement through Moses is actually encouraging us to swear by his name. So it can't be wrong. George Fox didn't have it right. We admire his, um, his courage. We admire his uh, lack of compromise for his convictions. But 
The Bible makes it very clear, as God says, swear by my name. Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Those are encouragements in scripture. So the Old Testament did encourage the Jewish people to swear by God's name. But what it did forbid, and note this, what it did forbid was false swearing. False swearing would be taking an oath using God's name, but not keeping your word. That's what it forbid. And it forbid in a number of places. For example, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of, of your uh, God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Now, what I want you to see from these three verses, and there are others in the Old Testament too, but these three verses, what I want you to see is the basic theme. What they're all saying is this. They're, they're all making a certain emphasis, and they're emphasizing truthfulness. Truthfulness. They're saying, when you swear by God's name, keep your oath, be true to your word, and really mean what you say, because if you don't keep your word, then you will be guilty of profaning God's name. Now watch this. Watch this. Since all men have trouble, and all of us do, consistently telling the truth, the ancient rabbis recognized that they had a problem. And their problem was this. They were afraid that they might make an oath, use God's name, but then lie, and they would profane his name by, by swearing an oath in his name, then not keeping their word. And they recognized that would be very serious. They would be breaking not only these laws, but the third commandment of the third of the ten, which says you shall not take the Lord, the Lord's name in vain. And so they came up with a way to protect themselves against profaning his name. And the way they did this was instead of just saying, you know what, we need to be honest. No, that, that wasn't what they did. They decided to protect themselves by reinterpreting the law about oaths. And they reinterpreted to mean that the only time you were obligated to keep your word was when you used God's name in your oath. In other words, they said, you know what, the real and the sole purpose of taking an oath isn't to encourage us to speak the truth, but rather to keep us from profaning God's name. That's what it's really all about. And so this led them to conclude, as John Stott points out, that, and I quote, false swearing meant profanity, a profane use of the divine name, not perjury, a dishonest pledging of one's word, end of quote. Therefore, here's what they said. The only oath that is binding that you have to really keep is an oath that uses God's name. All other oaths can be broken. No big deal. You don't have to keep your word. The important thing is don't profane God's name. It's really optional whether you want to lie or not. Just don't lie if you say his name. And so as a result of this, this very twisted view on oathing, the rabbis taught that you really, you were only required to speak the truth if your oath included, or it might imply God's name. It may not say exactly his name, but if it implied his name, yet you had to speak the truth. But otherwise, you could really renege on your word, and it was all right. Everybody understood it, 
it was all right. USA Today once listed some of the signals that a person is lying. They were things like increased blinking and pupil dilation, a facial expression incongruous with what's being said, increased bodily movement, especially hand gestures, shorter sentences, more speaking pauses and errors, more negative words and extreme words. Well, the cynic in me is inclined to believe that they missed one of the most common signs of a lie, the movement of the lips. When we think about how incredibly destructive dishonesty is, it's hard to believe how common it is. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study on honesty from the Sermon on the Mount when we meet again. Thanks for tuning in to Verse by Verse. Pastor Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is listener-supported radio, so if you're already helping us keep these daily Bible classes on the air, we want you to know that we're thankful. If you'd like to make a gift, just call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Or visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and go to the giving page. To listen again to any of our broadcasts, check out our message archive page. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shows us what Jesus thinks about oaths. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.